empathy is not about being gentle or nice. Empathy for me, it's really caring about our people, about others. People, they have the skills or you can teach them the skills. But most importantly, you need to inspire them if you want to achieve great things as a team. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. My name is Agi. I'm the CEO and founder of Tonkin. And today I have the pleasure of hosting Alex from Sasrify. He's the head of procurement there. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Sagi. Nice meeting you and thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, maybe we start with a quick background. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the company, and just in general, your journey for, for heading procurement. Great. Cool. Look, born 42 years ago in the probably the most beautiful city in the world, Lyon in France. That's why my French accent. Straight away, 20 years ago, I knew that I wanted to work in procurement. Don't ask me why. So I did a master in procurement. And then I've started my career at Renault Trucks in the automotive industry. And then I realized that if I want to work in procurement, I need to speak English. And as you know, that the French people, we don't really speak English really well. So I decided to move to Australia and to learn English and to continue working in procurement. So I've worked in different industries and different sectors in Australia as a procurement consultant, procurement manager, head of procurement for oil and gas companies, for train, construction, fintech companies. And now back to Europe, I wanted to stay one year there. I stayed 11 years and now for family reasons, back to Europe and heading head of procurement for Sastrify. So this is my career in, in procurement. Well, I know you said don't ask me, but like now I have to ask because from what I've kind of experienced so far, many people sort of claim that they stumbled away to procurement then fell in love with it. And it feels like you had that. What attracted you to this? Nowadays, when you talk about procurement, some people say procure, procure what? And they don't even know. So imagine 20 years ago when I was thinking about, okay, let's try procurement. So it's really, I don't really know why. I, I was discussing with a friend at the university, told me like, look, I did an internship in procurement. You should try. And then I realized that actually procurement, it's common sense. Procurement, it's communication. Procurement is talking to people, listening to people. And then maybe a gut feel thinking about, okay, let's try it. Nice. Well, 20 years, a lot of change, especially also very impressive big companies, all gas companies going into like more startups, tech companies. What has that been like? What is the difference? Share some of that. It's from moving from the dark to the bright or from the black to the white. It's a complete different pace. It's a complete different mindset. It's totally different. Yes. Corporate environment where I'm working in the automotive industry, thousands of employees, when you start working for a startup, 50 started at Sastrify, I think 50 employees, and now we are probably around 200. And so I think there's two like big things here, right? One is, at least for kind of my observation, uh, curious to hear from within. One is obviously procurement role as originally very supply chain to everywhere, especially with digital taking over in the last two, three decades of every part of the organization. So that's like one area. And then the second area is also like where, when do you need as a company, when do you invest in that role? Or when do you even meet the needs of that role? When it was like tradition, like, oh, if you're a big company, that's when you have a procurement team. And I think especially in the last 10 years, I see it from the other side of it, from a vendor side of it, where you have a lot more smaller companies that have that function that invest in that function. So those two areas of change that I think you lived through in the last 
two decades, like, how do you see that change? Exactly. Look, 20 years ago, I think we were not talking about SaaS, to be honest. We will talk about SaaS, but 20 years ago, I remember when we started to have the application on our mobile phone, I was thinking that's what's this? It will never work. Why they said that there is a big market. And 20 years later, I just realized that I was completely wrong. Software application are eating the world. So we either you say, okay, I don't want to take care of this, so I'm scared about this, or etc. Or either you embrace the change and you try to be curious about this. You try to understand, okay, what's going on? It's not a topic, but I know that you have discussed about this in different podcasts about AI, about ChatGPT, OpenAI, etc. Nowadays, I remember that the COVID, everyone was doing the COVID, everyone was a doctor, an expert in COVID and things like this. Now everyone is an expert in AI and they know and we know everything about AI. So this basically things like funny changes that I'm observing. So interesting. So if I use your, which I completely agree with that statement, if you use that to the art, if you will, or the science of procurement, do you feel like that applies there too with the SaaS, burst in SaaS, which basically... Really, if I try to use my own words of simplifying, what that did is basically that one-click purchase, right? Just like, oh, just put your care card, start a trial. All of a sudden, an end user in a company ended up buying something, buying into a vendor, and they didn't necessarily do all the evaluations and the risk, third-party risk management, and all of the things that are so important as part of handling relationship between companies. Tasks is all like overlapping all of this, which... Arguably, I think everyone agrees there's too many tools right now. Every company has way too many tools. There's a lot of noise. Nothing works together. It's own different type of chaos. I never thought about it from that perspective of similar to how everyone became a doctor in COVID. Everyone with SaaS became like a procurement person as if they know how to buy things. Exactly. How do you, how do you solve for that? How do you even, where do you even start? That's why we exist. That's why Sastrify exists, because we realize that it's a complete mess. Let's be honest. It's a complete chaos. But sometimes, and it's funny to observe sometimes because people, they say like, look, I know what to do. I know how to deal with this. So, and I would have done better than you on this. Yes, great. But it's like riding a bike. I don't know um, if you know this French expression, as soon as you know how to ride a bike, you will never forget how to ride it. And basically, SaaS, it's completely different from riding a bike. You can easily forget how it works. An example, try to negotiate a Salesforce contract or whatever SaaS tool contract uh, that you have negotiated three years ago. You will realize that if you have to negotiate it to negotiate here now, it's a complete different product. They've made some changes, bundle offers, unbundle offers or whatever, etc. So this is our reality. This is great. This is nice to see this digital transformation. But more and more, and if you practice this every day, you will have a better understanding and you will know better what we are doing or what you are doing, basically. I think there's also an interesting shift in almost like what are the skill set or what is the ownership should be to bring those technologies. So if I think about it from the other side of it, right, from a business owner myself, like why do you invest in technology? You are striving for efficiency from leverage. Like, how can I get closer to my goals faster? How can I do more with less? This is like the mantra. And I think regardless of what stage you are in helping the companies, it is essentially the underlying point of a business is to basically create profits out of efficiency. And so when technology becomes exponentially better, you want a part of it. You want to make sure that you're using leveraging the right things. You're not stuck in the always. But what I think is interesting, what I'm leading with this is 
I think 20 years ago, it was very complicated to bring new technologies in. So heavy IT, information technology type of realm. And fast forward 20 years later, it's too easy to bring new technology to a point where you're not even leveraging the technology correctly. And so if you're advising, like if you're meeting a mid-sized company or any different stages, and they have a lot of that mess, other than the ability to use you guys' tools or other tools to handle that, just from a philosophy perspective first, what is the philosophy? Like, what is a good structure in your mind is? I don't remember who said this, but I find it quite interesting. It's about digital transformation. And digital transformation, it's not about upgrading your IT. It's about upgrading your leadership and questioning how you're operating today. I find it, this expression quite interesting. So what's the advice in choosing the right technology? I think, A, you need to understand what's the objective of your company and the real needs of your company. You need to understand your current SaaS tech stack and see how this tool integrates and complete what you already have, what people commonly call the best of breed. Explore the markets and identify which technology can address your need. And super important, this is something really important, work with and involve your stakeholders early in the process of buying. They will be the end users. You can buy the best tool ever, but if no one is using it, then it's a fail. And last, probably, it's to understand your cost implication because the price of the SaaS is not the total cost of ownership. There is also the cost of the implementation, the maintenance cost, the cost of non-user adoption, the cost of the project manager that you will hire to implement this solution, et cetera, et cetera. So people, first process, second, and technology, third. How do you educate people on that? This is a great rundown of why not everyone can be a doctor equivalent, right? There's skill set that you need to have. And how do you go about that in, in smaller companies? Do you create a wall? Do you basically say no one can buy anything unless procurement is part of it? What do you do? You create trust. You create trust and you try to inspire other people because as soon as you create trust and if you can inspire people, then they will talk to you. And when they will start talking to you, then you will start sharing things why we are doing this. I think a lot of time and maybe too much, we try to convince people by saying like, oh, you should do this and you should do that or should buy this, etc." I think what we are missing is like, we are not explaining why and we are not explaining why this should not be done. We are not explaining why you should not buy this tool with your credit cards or without talking to people. So I would say that, yes, the day you were talking about the education, I would say that common sense communication, trust, and inspiring. I like that. I think that's a big part of it. I think one other sort of like trend I've seen that I think is aligned with some of that, and you kind of mentioned the AI piece and the COVID thing. And I feel like if you look at the last year or year and a half, like there's just so many things that happens on a monthly basis in this related space. But one of them is obviously some of the global economic struggles. And so when you think about technology, and I mentioned efficiency and so on, but really a big part of that, or I think for many people's eyes, what they think procurement is about cost saving. And I think some of it is true, but I still think a lot of it about leverage as well. But if we do touch on cost saving for a second, what I found effective with my team is educating, but also creating just transparency and sometimes treat people as adults in that sense of like, you're responsible for this thing and so on. But the concept of a budget or the concept of a strict budget and those type of things is only sort of like one way to do it. 
What are some of the things you've seen in the past and even comparing like 20 years ago to like today's where you drive cost savings in an environment where things are moving so fast and there's so many dependencies? This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. 20 years ago, I remember when I was working in the automotive industry, people in procurement, we were called the cost killer. So we were pushing really hard. And I started with this mentality because this was the rule. Push, push and decrease the cost, keep the same quality, increase the cadence, the frequency to receive the right part at the right time, at the right place, etc. And then I remember this was also the part or, or the period where everyone was outsourcing in China, in, in India, in different regions of the world. And I remember that I was close to the office of Renault in Lyon and I was meeting a supplier, family business, 40 or 50 years business, plastic injection or something like this. And I arrived like 22, 23 years old, managing the procurement category, buying from them, telling them like, look, guys, you really need to decrease your price, etc. And I remember I was alone with the CEO and the CFO because for them, I was really important. For me, it was just one supplier. And at this time, I realized that, oh man, they are playing their life here. And me, I'm just like pushing them and to decrease the cost. And then we have observed and we saw now that procurement function is not only about savings. Procurement function, it's like plenty of different things. It's first about making sure that you are mitigating your risks. Second, that you have a transparency and ethics and governance. It's about making sure that everyone is aligned with the procurement strategy. You have a policy in place, not to be the policeman, but to make sure that if we are all going in the right direction, guided by a policy, then it's the best for the organization. So it really evolved from a cost-saving function to a, a more mature where everyone, and nowadays this is the buzzword, I want to see it's procurement, we want to see it at the table, which I don't really like this expression, but yes. If I, if I connect to your analogy with the dogs, which I liked, it is a little bit like moving from just being in the ER, the doctor in the ER just receive like things that are just like people need immediate care and things are burning in a way to preventive medicine. And like having that type of trust to your point that the patients will come early to try to find, to get the advice and to get the help before they need to go to the ER. And I mean, there's a little bit of that transition. So, and I think it's really interesting what you said about the relationship with the suppliers and the vendors and so on, which I feel like it's a healthy thing that again, wasn't as the locality of the relationship before everything was global, made it more of a small monopoly for a supplier might be one customer that life depends on versus the ability to have a little bit more of like a healthy relationship that benefits both sides type of thing, but super intriguing, intriguing things. What do you think the next big trend on procurement? Look, I think the next big thing is about the tail spends. I think tail spend will have more scrutiny for teams. Today's procurement teams, they are really focusing on the 80% spend represented by 20% of the vendors, the 80-20 rules. What I start seeing and observing today on the market is that the technology is giving teams a better way to also manage the queue, the tail spend by 
automatizing the process and or providing more visibility. So there will definitely be more room for tailspin management. It will also reveal us some surprises such as non-compliance, frauds, I lived this personally, recurring payment without corresponding goods or services. This is a personal experience. You have a monthly payment, but no one knows where it's going, but you don't receive the goods and you don't receive any services. So in my view, it's a winning combination. Also depends of your context. Consists of leveraging the technology solution, like for example, at Sasrify, implementing category management strategy strategies and optimizing your process. The spray second trend, a lot of people are talking about RFP, RFQ, and this exists since a long time. RFP, I think, will rip, rest in peace, in my opinion, and will probably see more business is connected to marketplace to facilitate transaction, create an efficient exchange of SaaS and provide a centralized platform for buyers and, and sellers to connect and to engage in e-commerce. So teams via the marketplace will probably save time, probably money too, and can rely on, on experts. You mentioned like the RFPs, right? So this is like a way of, for people that don't know, it's just a way to basically request for proposals. So if someone is looking for a vendor to help them solve a problem, they want to compare and contrast multiple vendors. And so they work really hard to create this big request for proposal. And then each of the vendors will work really hard to try to fit that template. So everyone works really hard just to get the information across so you can compare. And then I think that's why you're thinking this will be like an RIP, like will die soon, which I don't disagree. I think it's a very antique way. But like the alternative is interesting because when you buy a car, how do you go about that? Do you do an RFP when you exactly. buy a car? You don't. And so like, oh, yeah, go on. Oh, yes, just about this. Do you do an RFP? I don't think that we have stats on the RFP, but for me, I think that they are failing most of the time. And also we were talking about AI and the technology. And today you can quickly... Maybe in 10 minutes, I can write an RFP of 10 pages. And maybe in five minutes, I can respond to my own RFP in of 10 pages. So this space, I think, will change. Look, hope I will be uh, better in prediction than when I was 20 years ago about the application that it won't, that, it, that they don't have any future. Let's see. Great. Well, it's definitely moving fast. So I don't think we need to wait 20 years to know. I think <laughs> would, uh, this will happen much faster. Well, I guess going through all those different stages of your career, I always love to ask, like, what is the best advice that you got early on or that you feel like worth paying forward? I don't remember someone giving me the best advice, but I remember that I've been inspired by two people during my career on the actions that they were undertaking. And these people, they had in common the leading by empathy skill. For me, and empathy is not about being gentle or nice. Empathy for me, it's really caring about our people, about others. People, they have the skills or you can teach them the skills. But most importantly, you need to inspire them if you want to achieve great things as a team. So I would say that my mantra is a Simon Sinek quote that, that I like, which is saying, if your action inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. I love it. And yeah, Simon Sinek is, is the one to watch. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Alex. This was a great conversation. Anything you want to maybe share more about company or yourself, if people want to reach out and learn more about what you do or chat with you on all things procurement, where should we look for? Yeah. So anything I want to promote or share about Tastrify, look, as we said, 
there is a big challenge in the SaaS cloud industry and organization, they have 50 plus tools per company. This is the second biggest of spend for the company, the IT after the, the wages, the, the growth is expected two times in 2024. So there is complexity, a lot of vendors, there is time and cost negotiation takes a heaps of time and transparency. So as Sastrify, we're really helping the organization to manage the SaaS tech stack. They are a big pain point for this organization when it comes to renew their, their contract or to manage their contract. So we are providing more SaaS expertise to organization either by showing them how to do it via our product and via our platform or by doing it on their behalf. You can also act an action or, or service. So maybe something in last that I would like to share. And then when I look in the mirror and, and I see what we have achieved at Sastrify, because I'm really passionate about Procurement and Sastrify, it's a Procurement organization, a Procurement startup. So for me, the match was perfect. And two plus years of existence is just really incredible. And I'm not a fan of superlatives but our product is evolving so fast. The expertise of the procurement team is growing really quickly and everyone is pulling in the same direction. So I've never seen that pace in my career. Uh, you were talking about what is the difference between corporate and Sastrify. So yes, it's not easy all the time. We have ups and downs, but at the end of the day, it won't be about the savings that we will make for an organizations. It won't be about the procurement workflow process that we have put in place for an organization. I think in this infinite game, it's about the people. It's about the passion. It's about inspiration. And the clients will naturally perceive this. And I think we are in a really good place here at the moment. So if you want to talk to me about anything related to procurement, sustainability, we didn't talk about this, or just good food, just follow me on LinkedIn or drop me a message at Alex Dussurger. Awesome. Well, Congrats on the success thus far. And it's great to see and talk to people that are passionate about what you're doing and when there's the great match. So thank you again for your time. Be sure to check Alex on LinkedIn and Twitter. And thank you very much. Thank you, Sagi. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 